Hey guys, got a great show for you coming this week in the takeaways. We're wrapping up Super Bowl 55 and taking a little peek ahead to the offseason. We got a special guest coming in to break down Mahomes and Brady and also the future of the quarterback position in the NFL. Fabs helps us wrap up 2020 and look forward to 2021 from a fantasy and DFS perspective in our DraftKings segment. And as always, we get to all of your questions in the six pack. Let's go. All right, welcome in. It's the Albert Breer Show. The 2020 NFL season is over. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are the Super Bowl 55 champions. We got a great show coming for you today. Got a special guest coming in that's going to kind of help us bridge where we're at coming out of Super Bowl 55 and where we're headed with the 2021 offseason now underway. We got Fabs in to wrap up stuff fantasy-wise. We'll have your questions in the six-pack, but we're going to start with our takeaways coming out of Super Bowl 55, and there is no other place than to start with perhaps the greatest winner in sports history, Tom Brady, and what he was able to do, not just on Sunday night, but also over the course of this year, and what he was able to accomplish in changing a culture, and what he was able to get out of his teammates, and how he and Bruce Arians were able to come together. And I think Arians deserves credit, too. People don't want to give Bruce Arians credit. Look, I mean, if you want to go and check out his resume, he won a Super Bowl as an assistant in Pittsburgh, in Indianapolis. He got a team to the playoffs after his boss, Chuck Pagano, had contracted cancer, was diagnosed with cancer with a rookie quarterback and a rebuilt roster. He brought the Arizona Cardinals to the NFC title game in 2015, and now he wins a Super Bowl. But really the headline coming out of this one, um, again, is the job that Tom Brady's done. And here's some Tom Brady facts for you. He now has more Super Bowl MVPs, five, than any other quarterback has Super Bowl wins. He now has won as many Super Bowls, four, since turning 37 as any quarterback has won total. That means he's won as many Super Bowls, again, four, since turning 37 as Joe Montana did and as Terry Bradshaw did. He's the first quarterback to win the Super Bowl out of both conferences. He is the first, second, third, fifth, and seventh oldest quarterback ever to start a Super Bowl. And his 34 play- career playoff wins more than double his childhood hero, who is in second place in that list, and that's Joe Montana, who has 16 of them. It's incredible. I don't think we're ever going to see anything like it again. It's a tribute to who he is. Um, you know, and I think it's the reason that he keeps doing this. He just loves it that much. You know, his passion for football. We should all love something that we also we we should all love what we do as much as Tom Brady loves football. Um, and really, just to me, it's coming in a place into a new place in a pandemic. Um, you know, with no spring, no OTAs, no mini camps, with a, a bizarre, different training camp. Uh, being able to do all this in the fly, being able to help turn player younger players into winners at the NFL level, helping to bring that out in guys, um, guys that aren't even on the same side of the ball as he is, guys like Carlton Davis, guys like uh, you know, guys like Devin White, guys like Sean Murphy Bunning, I, like guys that you know Vita Vey, guys that I think had it in them, but he's able to sort of bring that out in guys. His impact is incredible, and. You know, I think people who are talking about what happened on Sunday night and talking about the game in a different context and saying it wasn't that much Brady, I, you're just making it too complicated. 
yes, there were other factors in this game. The Bucks' pass rush was outstanding. The Bucks' secondary much better than most people, myself ex- included, expected. The Bucks' running game was fantastic. Leonard Fournette did a good job. Uh, that was a major factor in winning the game. But don't overcomplicate this. This has not happened without Tom Brady. They're not able to flip the culture as quickly as they did without Tom Brady. And I think he deserves a ton of credit for everything that happened there in Tampa's win over the Kansas City Chiefs um, to win the franchise's second world championship. Again, this is a franchise that had not been to the playoffs in 13 years and hadn't won a playoff game since that group with John Gruden won um, 18 years ago. So just phenomenal, incredible, you know, just another layer to the best legacy that any NFL players ever had. Um, Tom Brady, greatest of all time, and probably will hold that uh, that title for a long, long time to come. Takeaway number two, uh, yeah, I thought Todd Bowles, if there was a coach that could be MVP, Todd Bowles is the MVP of this particular game. And I just look at the way that creatively he was able to attack the weaknesses of the Chiefs. And yeah, that weakness was obvious. The Chiefs offensive line, and we'll get into that group. Uh, you know, it was, I mean, me or you could have, could have identified that weakness given the fact that Eric Fisher and Mitch Schwartz were out given all the shuffling that they had to do on that offensive line I, like it's obvious where the where the weakness was going into this game that said I thought the plan was outstanding some of the things they did to attack Patrick Mahomes to prevent Patrick Mahomes from getting his footing and making up the difference uh, was innovative and great and really what this came down to Zone on first and second down. It felt like that would cross the Chiefs up a little bit and then mixing it up on third down. So they were versatile and that the Chiefs didn't have the answers to the test going in. Um, and they were able to throw different looks at the, the, the Chiefs that way. They Some of the stuff that they did on the defensive line, of course, moving guys around into different spots to get matchups, I thought that was great too. And I thought one of the big keys, and they talked about this after the game, was getting Patrick Mahomes off of his first read. They felt like that would get Mahomes to drift in the pocket a little bit, which would only accentuate the biggest advantage they had, which was up front. They felt like if they get him off his first read, he would start to drift, and when he started to drift, that advantage would really show up, where you would have Jason Pierre-Paul and Adamican Sue and Shaq Barrett and Vita Vey getting into Patrick Mahomes' face. It played out that way. Uh, you know, Todd Bowles, again, fantastic, fantastic job. Takeaway number three. I I would agree with people who say Patrick Mahomes did all that he could. I thought he was uh, – some of the throws he made, you know, the one to Williams um, that I think we've all seen where he was throwing it looked like he was parallel to the ground. Um, the throw earlier in the game that was off balance to Tyree Kill um, that I believe went through Tyree Kill's hands. Like, like he did a lot of things that defied logic, that defied what – physically quarterbacks are supposed to be able to do and so I do think the effort from Patrick Mahomes was there I also think that there's going to be some growth that's going to come from Patrick Mahomes in handling this sort of circumstance what do I mean by that well you know I I think part of the greatness and the brilliance of Tom Brady and Peyton Manning um, as they started started to get older about a decade ago, you started to see where they could make up for deficiencies around them. And I can remember Peyton Manning going out there in his last year before the neck injury with the Colts and really lifting that team up despite the fact that the offensive line was a mess, despite the fact that he was throwing to guys like, and you get, some of you may remember this name, Blair White at receiver. 
Um, and we've seen it with Brady. And I think the best example of it was five years ago. And this is the 2015 AFC title game. He was dealing with a similar circumstance to what Patrick Mahomes was dealing with in the Super Bowl. And he was down offensive linemen. He was down skill position players. It was a mess around him. And he found a way to manage it despite the fact that he was getting the tar knocked out of him against a great, great defense. And that was, you know, of course, the Von Miller Broncos. And so if you go back and you watch that game, you watch how Brady managed the fact that he had these deficiencies and the way that everything was emphasized, get the get rid of the ball. Let's find a way to kind of let's find a way to make sure that we're giving ourselves a chance in the end. And they did give themselves a chance in the end. They scored a touchdown. One of the best throws I think I've seen Brady make. The touchdown throw to, to Rob Gronkowski at the end of that game. They didn't wind up converting the two-point conversion. So I believe they lost 2018. But if you watch, if you go back and you watch that game, you'll see that it wasn't about physically what Brady was doing. It was more about mentally. I mean, it was the toughness being able to deal with the punishment, of course. And I think Mahomes has that part of it. But it was also learning how to better manage the game. And we're going to talk to our special guest a little bit about this. Learning to manage the situation you're in for what it is. And I think Brady became the master at that over time because there was a point earlier in his career where if you got to him and you knocked him around, he'd sort of react the way a lot of other quarterbacks did. As he got older, he actually became, I guess, smarter about the way that he would handle those sorts of things, and he got better results in those sorts of spots. And I think that'll happen for Mahomes. I don't think we can sit here and say Mahomes played great. I've seen some people saying that. I think he did some – I think he was courageous. I think he was tough. I think he, you can say he did some things that no other quarterback's capable of. I think he'll learn to handle these situations a little bit better as time goes on. Takeaway number four, I don't think it's automatic that the Chiefs are right back here next year. And the reason why, that offensive line issue that they have is a problem. Their salary cap situation, I think, is going to be interesting going forward. Patrick Mahomes' number really jumps this year. There are some other guys on that roster where, you know, you, you look at the cap numbers and they're going up. I, you know, I just, I, I think that really like you, you look at the Chiefs situation and you have to question how they're going to fix the offensive line. And this was a group that like to some degree, like to some degree struggled in the Super Bowl last year with a healthy group. This year, obviously it was a major problem. Eric Fisher's 30 years old. Coming off, and he's going to be coming off an Achilles. Mitch Schwartz is going to be 32 years old, going into a contract year. Laurent Duvernay-Tardif turns 30 this week. He'd be coming off the opt-out year. And Austin Ryder, the center, is 30 and a free agent. So there are four guys, four of the five starters, the natural starters for the team, that are in their 30s. It's there's a lot. I think there's just some work to be done there, and it's going to be interesting to see what the Chiefs do. It wouldn't surprise me if, because of all of this, the offensive line becomes a major, major emphasis of theirs when we get to the draft. I don't know what you can do with their cap situation, free agency-wise, to fix this. So it wouldn't surprise me if the Chiefs have a big have a big emphasis on the offensive line in the draft. It is a good offensive line group in this year's draft, and so. It's going to be fascinating to see what they wind up doing in that area because I think that area really needs to get younger and they need to find a way to build some depth in that group. 
Okay, takeaway number five. Um, just like a few things that I want to give. I've got a few things that I want to give you guys as far as the quarterback carousel goes really quick before we get to our de- guest. Number one, um, and I'm going to give you guys five things that are sort of predictions, I guess, you know, on, on the way all of this is going to go over the next couple of months. Number one, I, I think is an obvious one, but I want to kind of get this out there at least. There's no chance Trevor Lawrence isn't going to be the first pick. Okay. There is zero chance. And I remember 2012 where you sort of heard, oh, well, you know, like maybe Robert Griffin has been, it's just a different type of quarterback. And maybe uh, there was never a chance that wasn't going to be Andrew Luck with the first pick in the 2012 draft. There is not a chance that this is going to be, that anybody but Trevor Lawrence is going to be the first pick of the 2021 draft. Stop anything that you're hearing about Zach Wilson or Justin Fields or anyone else. Trevor Lawrence is going to be the number one overall pick in the NFL draft to the Jacksonville Jaguars. I'm not out here to act as if that's some sort of new or different opinion. I just feel like it's important to put the rest of it to bed now. Uh, My second prediction, I do think Carson Wentz is going to be traded. I think the Eagles are going to have to take less than they want to take for him. They initially asked for the Matt Stafford return. I think that may have killed the market a little bit, and some teams didn't even think it was worth countering that. We've talked about Indy and Chicago being involved in this. The Eagles would like to get a first-round pick back. I think if they get a first-round pick back, that it will be part of maybe a complicated deal that has some salary coming in and maybe some picks going back and all that sort of stuff. Um, But it's just I think too many teams have looked at the tape of Wentz and said, like, I don't know if he's fixable. And so teams still see the talent and say, I take a flyer on that, but I don't know if I want to invest in it. Um, But the fact that the return is negotiable, the fact that they asked for that much, and then they were willing to, to go to negotiate it. Then kind of puts you at the point of no return. And I, it's been pretty clear that Wentz doesn't want to be there. Um, my third prediction: I think four quarterbacks are going in the top ten. And I give you obviously Lawrence, Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance. I think all four of those guys wind up going in the top ten. They're, they're all talented enough to go in the top ten. I think one of the reasons why is because you. I don't know that you have the guy in the 2022 class where you're saying that guy is definitely going in the top 10. And that has an effect. Like if you look in 2018, that's part of the reason why we had three trade-ups into the top 10 and four quarterbacks going in the top 10. So Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, because teams looked at it and said, I don't know if in 2019 there's going to be a quarterback worthy of going in the first round at all. And then you look at the guys who did go in the first round in 2019. It's Kyler Murray who hadn't started the year before. He's Baker Mayfield's backup. There's Dwayne Haskins. He hadn't started before. He was JT Barrett's backup. And then there was Daniel Jones, who sort of, I think, rose through the last year of the process. So I think we're in that same sort of spot where teams are going to look at it and say, if we don't get one this year, there's no guarantee there's going to be one there that we like next year. It's going to create a little tension. And these four guys are very talented in their own right. So Lawrence, Fields, uh, Lance, and... Wilson all go in the top 10. I wouldn't be surprised if Wilson was the second overall pick. And one of the reasons why, because I see Sam Darnold being traded. That's my fourth prediction. The Jets have told teams um, that have called, and there have been, last check, four teams called on Sam Darnold in the aftermath of the Matthew Stafford deal. They've told them, please hold on. We're still going through our process of evaluation. I think they're going to be patient with this, but I do think the Jets do wind up trading Sam Darnold. It's not 100% now, but I do think the Jets do wind up trading Sam Darnold. 
Um, and I think it probably happens before the beginning of the league year. Finally, my fifth prediction. I think Deshaun Watson is going to stay put. The, I, the, the feeling I've gotten, at least at this point, Houston's really resolved to hang on to him. I don't know how it happens. It could go the other way. This is just a prediction. Um, but, you know, I, I think because you have the Texans trying to get a hold of Watson and not getting any response, and then the then on the other end you have teams calling in and Texans telling them don't even bother, this is a very unpredictable situation. But if I had to make a prediction right now, I think that the Texans stick to their guns and hang on to Deshaun Watson and – I, like I said, I, we may not have real clarity on that until we get much, much closer to the draft. So those are my five final takeaways for the 2020 NFL season. We'll get to my special guest right after this. All right, so I really, wa- I really wanted to have our guy on this week because he called something at the beginning of the year that like, wound up just basically coming true um, in the Super Bowl. And uh, Jordan, I don't know how well you remember that, but it's Jordan Palmer here. He uh, trains a ton of NFL quarterbacks, works with guys ahead of the draft, former NFL quarterback. I won't go through all the teams here, Jordan, but played a bunch of years in the league. Uh, Jordan, I'm not sure if you remember it, but you actually called it like back in July, August. You said that you thought offensive line problems would, um, would happen in 2020. And lo and behold, in the Super Bowl, um, it felt like that was sort of what wound up determining the outcome of the game. So that's why that's where I want to start. Just your impressions from the Super Bowl, what we saw from Brady, what we saw from Mahomes and yeah. kind of like how it was reflective of how the game was played in 2020. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on, man. Um well, I think what I was talking about at the beginning of the year was when you look at cuz I train guys in the offseason, right? Quarterbacks, I train receivers, tight ends and running backs too. And, and for me, I get to see the misses that they miss from not having an OTAs. And if you look at offensive line, you know, look at who they go against. They go against defensive line, right? They go against defense, right? And so on the defensive side of the, of the ball, those guys can run the hoop, that hoop on the ground where they teach them to stay low and all that. Yeah. Um, they can lift. They can work on their starts. Like, they can get off the ball. They weren't really negatively impacted by COVID, by no offseason. The way that offensive line was, because offensive line is much more technical it's two guys working together, passing off things. It's feel. It's all that. They can still lift and run all offseason and get strong, but it's those types of meaningful reps that they missed. And so with the starting high-paid left tackles, no, it's riding a bike. Those guys will be all good. The other guys who actually needed an offseason, which was basically four of the five linemen in Kansas City on the Super Bowl, particularly the two tackles that were backups playing in a starting role and kicking out to a position they haven't worked on and all that. And – yeah, that kind of ended up being the game. So I didn't think it affected the key starting the you know the Andrew Whitworths of the world, but it affected the the middle to bottom part of those offensive line units, and and ended up you know I think securing a championship number seven for Tom Brady. Yeah, and, and like so, it's like it's like created depth issues is what you're saying. And when the depth showed up, the depth really showed up, right? Absolutely. Like, Absolutely. So, all right, so your impressions of the two quarterbacks. Obviously, I think the last you know 48 hours or so, a lot of us have spent time trying to put Tom Brady in context. And then it's almost like there's an argument on how well Pat Mahomes played. You know what I mean? So uh, why don't you hit both of those? Like, like where do you think this puts Brady, how it adds to his legacy, and then kind of how you saw the game that Pat Mahomes played in his second Super Bowl? 
Well, I think Tom Brady had had the Chiefs right where he wanted them, and and it, and it does tie to the confidence that they had to have going into that game on their pass rush against that kind of tattered uh, Chiefs offensive line. They had to be going into the game confident, but the first couple of series when you started to see those guys get involved, they obviously have confidence in the linebacking core between Lamonte David and Devin, uh, Devin White. Those are two of the best linebackers in the game right now, particularly when it comes to covering ground. And so I think as Tom Brady saw early on that – Patrick Mahomes, if he's a basketball player, he's going to have a lot of contested shots. He's going to have a ton of stuff around him and people in his face, and he was going to be moving like crazy. And so Tom Brady, I think, got to go into a game and early on realized that this is going to be one of those games that he's going to be need to hit open throws, protect the football, manage the game, and just orchestrate this thing because the other team is going to be off you know, off of center, they're not going to be able to play their game. And I think early on when we saw them not make those spectacular plays, Tyreek Hill uh, and, and Travis Kelsey, Mahomes was making spectacular plays, but they weren't completing those balls that they typically live and die by. And and so I think Tom Brady, you know, by halftime had to be sitting there going, wait a second, all we need to do is hit open jump shots, keep everything in front of us and continue to attack. And we're going to go ahead and control this football game to start to finish. And uh, I think statistically speaking, it was Tom Brady's best Super Bowl, you know, certainly from a passer rating standpoint. And in terms of dominance and, and just conviction from start to finish, um, I've certainly watched all the Super Bowls that Tom Brady's played. And I thought this was the one where he was in the most control of the game from start to finish. Yeah. And it, it like felt like to me, like it's sort of like a guy who. I don't know. I like. I always think like the word that the, the term game manager that that's used derisively is kind of wrong. Like it seemed to me like Tom Brady, like consistently all year, has sort of managed the situations that he's in and has a really. I mean, I guess after twenty one years of doing it, you get here, you get there, but has just like such an incredible ability to to contextualize what he needs to do to win the game, right? Like, and I guess that's such a, to me, like that's like such a positive, you know, being able to manage a game. And, and like you said, in this game, it, it felt like he knew exactly what he needed to do. Yeah. And I think you used a different D word than I would have, I would have picked. I would have said, um, being a game manager, a lot of times feels like it's derogatory. Yeah. Right. Like we sit here and say, He's just a game manager, this guy. You know, Andy Dalton, Case Keenum. He's just a game manager, right? The reality is, is I look at it through a lens of if you are an elite game manager, that speaks to me more about control than it does arm strength. We just put guys with weak arms in this category of, like, being game managers. But, no, it means you're in control of the game. I think Aaron Rodgers is a fantastic game manager. I think Russell Wilson is a fantastic game manager. I think Tom Brady is a fantastic game manager. And wh where I see Patrick Mahomes, the evolution of his game going, is getting better at managing games. And every game he played in in college, they were down. And he had to score five or six touchdowns to have a chance because they weren't going to stop anybody at Texas Tech. And so he's ha he, he knows how to come back from behind. He did it last year versus Houston. He did it in the Super Bowl. He's got a million. He's going to have a ton of come-from-behind victories over the course of his career. But he also had some games versus Miami where I think he threw three picks. He also got down early to Oakland twice. So I think his the evolution of his game is going to be becoming more of a game manager like Tom Brady and knowing when, hey, you know what? I need to go 11 for 17 for 200 yards today for us to win this game and having the self-control to do that. Tom Brady, with all of his years of experience, all the different types of talent around him, 
he's de he's developed that level of game management. And so these guys, Patrick, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Deshaun, all these young guys who are balling right now, that's the evolution of their game. It's not arm talent. It's not velocity. It's not hand size. It's how good can you get at managing the game? So how do you think Patrick played? I thought he did everything that he could. Um, it, it felt like I, I watched all the Patrick's Texas Tech games because I was working with him in college. I went, I watched him at, a, at Arizona State. My brother was playing for the Cardinals, playing New England the next day. I watched him at Arizona State. Keelan Balaj had like seven rushing touchdowns. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> the other running back, who, by the way, I don't know if he's still in the league, had seven rushing touchdowns, he, he, and they lost. Patrick threw for like 480 yards and lost. I just felt like I was watching Texas Tech Patrick, particularly in the second half, started to get wide, started to force it, started to move when there wasn't something there. And that's what happens when you haven't had time at all and you're trying to score on every play and it's not an indictment on Patrick. I thought he fought like crazy. He made some unbelievable incompletions, unbelievable throws that were incomplete. And, um, you know, they're going to grieve their little, you know, loss in the championship. And then they're going to like reload and be right back in the mix next year. Okay. Before we get onto the rookies, um, I want to ask you about the potential for quarterback movement. We've heard what Russell Wilson said over the last couple of days. Um, obviously, Deshaun's situation is sort of lingering out there. And, you know, I, I think it's interesting at least, Jordan, that you hear sort of, I think maybe quarterbacks asking to have a say in things now. And, you know, Brady, like I thought it was super interesting that the four touchdowns the Bucks scored were all scored by guys who were acquired after Tom and that went to Tampa because of Tom. And you hear what Aaron Rodgers says about, you know, him wanting the, the, the Packers to be more aggressive in player acquisition. I'm just wondering from your standpoint, because, you know, you're working with so many young quarterbacks, so I'm sure I ask you questions about this sort of thing, kind of where you're at on the potential for quarterback movement this off season. And also, you know, some of, some of these quarterbacks wanting to have input in what their teams are going to do. Yeah, I mean, this, this whole league's, you know, it's driving on the quarterback, and if you, you either have one or, or you're looking for one, right? And I think what we've seen is, obviously, we've seen Peyton Manning leave and win a Super Bowl. We just saw Tom Brady leave and win a Super Bowl, right? We, we, like, we've seen this before. But now we're starting to see, like, Ryan Tannehill go to Tennessee and go to really deep in the playoffs, right? And, and it doesn't have to be where does the best player in the league go. It has and Now it's like, where does a guy who – like, we're going to watch guys like Sam Darnold. I don't know what happens with Sam. If he gets dealt, well, hold on. There's people on both sides of their, you know, opinions on him. We're going to see some, you know, Matthew Stafford. He's kind of been written off, and he's never really, like, the playoffs, and there's, here's the narrative around him, but we'll hold on. Add him in L.A. with that coach and that system and that defense. Like, we're, it's not just – the storylines is not just the big, giant names. It's the guys that are either falling off and are trying to get back on or haven't gotten on yet. You know, Carson Wentz has fallen off trying to get back on. Sam Darnold had a really, really tough hand he's been dealt. But I, I'm certainly in the camp of thing, people that thinks that he goes to a good situation. He's going to be a drastically different player overnight. Um, there's so much movement and potential movement that it's not just the giant names that are really cool to follow. It's the mid-tier guys that could actually really, the right piece at the right place, really drastically changes that franchise. And so... I think that's why this is going to be, I think this offseason is going to be the greatest game of musical chairs in NFL history. It's going to be the most fascinating stories to watch, and it's going to be the most impactful decisions are going to be made. And, you know, you do not want to be a GM 
who whiffed on this lottery, so to speak, of all this movement. Um, you don't want to be the person who didn't, you know, place a bet or didn't, you know, didn't make it happen. And so you're going to have teams reach too. And I just, I'm like, I'm just sitting here as a fan fascinated to watch it unfold. Yeah. It's going to be interesting too. Cause I, 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 I'll run this theory by you. I think there's almost like a Mahomes effect going on right now in the NFL where teams looked at the chiefs and sort of see it as like, okay, is my quarterback good enough to beat that guy? And I just, I sort of wonder if some of these teams are getting uncomfortable because they're thinking to themselves, having the 12th or the 14th or the 16th best quarterback in the league might not be good enough anymore. And maybe some of those questions are leading to them. I don't know, like at least exploring the idea of trying to upgrade at the position. Well, also you got to look at the market too, Yeah. right? Like Jamal Adams got two first round picks. That sets the market more than Matthew Stafford does. <laughs> yeah. In my opinion, wait a second, an awesome safety got two first round picks. So there's other comps that are going to be relevant here when you're talking about what is the actual sticker price, you know, or, or price tag for, for a Deshaun Watson or a Sam Darnold or a Carson Wentz. And so I think that's, what's going to be most fascinating by it. And then also you're going to look at, there's going to be a Tom Brady effect of with no off season, this new quarterback knew everything. It worked. It didn't take two years to build. They didn't get close with a lot of momentum going in. No, no, they won it the first year with no OTAs, no preseason, all that stuff. And I think you're going to also, people have a lot of belief that all the, I think there's teams that are not a quarterback away who are going to end up thinking they're a quarterback away. And if they make the right decision, it'll be great. And if they don't, it'll be costly. Okay. Let's get into the rookies really quick before I get you out of here. Put into perspective what Trevor Lawrence is as a prospect, if you could, um, going into 2021, because I think most of us have sort of talked to him, talked about him in the, you know, in the vein of Andrew Luck and Peyton Manning and John Elway. Do you see him that way? Yeah. I mean, I think with, with Trevor, he's kind of one of the first classes class, meaning like, like age, you know, graduated in whatever year he graduated. Cause I've been around these, a lot of these guys since high school through the elite 11 program. So I met Trevor and Justin Fields that year and they're the first class and Trevor and Justin are both in this category, but where Trevor since about 15 or 16, when all the lights kind of turned over towards him and the camera started reporting that every seven on seven tournament he showed up at as a kid, like it was important. Like it's everyone was trying to pick him off and people are interviewing him. And in high school, he's signing autographs to the little kids. And then he gets, becomes this big recruit, you know, top recruit in the country. He goes to Clemson right after Deshaun Watson wins a national championship and he goes in and he wins one his true freshman year. And what I would say is that like his journey, the last three or, and he only played three years of college, but three or four years, like how big that is, how massive that is. And, and I know that people in California didn't, who don't follow football, didn't know who that kid from Cartersville, Georgia was, but still in Cartersville, Georgia was a big deal. So these, these guys, this class, and Trevor has had so much stuff in front of everybody and the stage has been so big for like three or four, again, his senior in high school, four years now. That is so relevant to what NFL franchise quarterbacks go through. So what I would say is that Trevor and a handful of other guys, Justin, uh, Tua last year, these kids have been around big time college football. These guys have as many NFL franchise quarterback reps as anybody that entered into the league 
in terms of just understanding how this works, you're always on. You got to watch what you say. You all, everybody's trying to get your, you know, wants to see you, you fail every day. Like that whole thing just drives you. And so he's just, I haven't said a word about him as a player yet. He's just so prepared because of that, that I think, you know, if it's Jacksonville, that is at the end of the day, probably going to feel smaller than being the face of college football. Right. And, and, and that's so valuable, Albert. Like, that's better than like a quarter inch on hand size. You know what I mean? Like it's just that's so valuable for these guys. What do you think he has to prove to the NFL teams now going into the process? Obviously, his pro day is on Friday. Like, what do you think he has to prove? Like, why even throw? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, like, I, well, like the I, reason it, I can tell you, I mean, I'm running the pro day. I'm on a layover on my way to Clemson right now. I mean, yeah. the reason he wants to throw is because he loves ball and he's got nothing to hide. And like, when they want me to throw, I'll throw. Yeah, throw for everybody. Sounds great. So, for him, I mean, he could sit here and say, I'm not doing it and this is why, but you got, and you got to understand where I come from too. My brother was the surefire number one pick, no doubt. He played in the senior bowl and threw at the combine because give me a ball. I'd love to compete. I got nothing to hide. I love throwing. So Trevor's the same kind of guy where just, yeah, want me to throw, I'll throw, give me a ball. What do you want me to do? Okay. Sounds good. I'll do it. He just loves to compete. He's got nothing to hide. He's as confident as it comes. And he loves doing this. So it's really simple for him. It was, wasn't really a discussion. Okay. Last thing for me then, because you did spill the beans. I was trying to keep it quiet, but you're on a layover at DFW right now. And I know your time's short. Give me one impression of the rest of the quarterback class. Um, maybe a guy you like, something you like about the group, and then maybe a non-quarterback observation about the draft class too. Yeah, I think there's a couple guys at the top that can play. This is going to be, I think, one of the deepest drafts. And you know, anybody in the draft world can say, no, this is why, and I think you're wrong. Time will tell. <laughs> we'll see in, in seven years, right? I was yeah. in the 07 draft class with Jamarcus Russell. Guess who had the longest career? Undrafted Matt Moore, right? So, like, time will tell here <laughs> who has the best <laughs> career. But um, but with this, there's a lot of depth, too. But when you look at Justin, you look at Zach Wilson, you look at uh, Trey Lance and, you know, uh, Mac Jones is coming to this conversation here. There's just a lot of guys at the top where it's they're going to be so situational. If they go to the wrong place, it's not going to work out for them. If they go to the right place for them, it's probably going to work out great. This there's the, the, the style of quarterback is not just six foot four right handed from one of these eight schools anymore. It's across all over the board. Height, you know, we got North Dakota State guys going top five. We've got a BYU kid at the top. We, you know, it's just. We had a left-handed kid from Hawaii last year go fifth overall. Like it's just all over the map. And so it's way more situational of this person going to the right fit for him. And I'm not going to get into what I think is the right fit for each guy, but you know, you go to the right fit, Josh Allen, perfect situation, perfect place. The place is built, you know, it, you're, you're perfect fit for the, the place that works out great. You go to the New York Jets. You got different coaches, you got different GMs, you got a chaos around. It's a different story. I don't even know that the talent, the talent's that different there. It's just, it, it's really situational where you go. So we can sit here and rank all these quarterbacks. I certainly won't. But at the end of the day, it's going to come down to who went to the perfect situation for them and who didn't. Okay. Anything else on the rest of the class? Anybody you really like? Yeah, I'm spending some time with Kyle Pitts right now in the classroom and on the field. Do you think he's going to be a special talent? Uh, Pat? Fairmouth from Penn State, another tight end. I think it's going to be uh, going to be a star. And then there's a there's a, a dynamic back from Oklahoma State. Chuba Hubbard uh, is a guy that just 
the way that he's able to catch the ball and move around, how quickly he picks things up. I think he's going to be a guy who reminds me a lot of Cam Akers, and I think he's going to make a splash next year. Okay, so those are three guys to watch non-quarterbacks. Jordan, we got a ton of time to talk to you about the draft class, and we'll have you back on soon to do that. But you have a flight to catch, so we're going to let you go. He's Jordan Palmer, ex-NFL QB and a quarterback trainer for some of the biggest names of the game. Always appreciate it, Jordan. Thank you. All right, thanks to Jordan. He's always great, even when he's going through uh, whatever terminal it was at DFW. Uh, we're going to jump into our fantasy segment. Obviously, the season's over, so we're going to do it a little differently this week. Uh, but we are bringing in, um, for our DraftKings segment, the original uh, author of the Startup Sidham column. And now he's ours at SI.com and has been all year. Michael Fabiano, welcome back in. Good to be back, man. Uh, I wish we could maybe talk about a better Super Bowl. It wasn't all that great of a game. Yeah. But... It- I tell you something, if there was ever a wager out there that probably won somebody a lot of money, it would have been Chiefs don't score a touchdown. <laughs> I know. Imagine I mean, that. I wonder what odds I like. I, I hadn't even looked at Had you looked at that? Like I haven't, but you would think it's got to be out there. I mean, everything is out there. Yeah. I mean, this was the first time. This is an incredible stat. First, I, I believe this was Patrick Mahomes, including playoffs, 56th career start. Mm-hmm. First time he didn't score. First time his offense didn't score a touchdown. Oh, Isn't that unbelievable? In, in the, the Super, Super Bowl. Bowl. <laughs> Bad timing. Yeah, yeah. So pretty amazing. And, I mean, I, I think it, again, like, I didn't even say this in the takeaways, but it's true. Like, it's off, the football is a line of scrimmage game, you know, and it is won and lost at the lines of scrimmage. And that's not going to help you from a fantasy perspective for me to say that, Fabs, but it's true. I mean, no. it's just that's where the game is won and lost. And um, if somebody has a distinct advantage in that area, it's borderline impossible to cover it up. And mm-hmm. that was exactly what happened on Sunday night was yep. the Bucks' defensive line was way too much for a Chiefs offensive line that was stocked with backups. And we talked about that too last yeah. week. Like that yeah. was – I wouldn't say it was the the under-the-radar topic because a lot of folks were talking it, about it. But, you know, people don't talk about the big uglies very much. We're all talking about the, the quarterbacks. It wasn't over – it wasn't underrated. I, I, I don't think it was under the radar. I think it was – we, I think a lot of us assumed Mahomes would be able to make up the difference. Right. And we didn't, and maybe like what was, maybe what was, maybe what we, I think we all, all underestimated was how difficult it was going to be for that to do. Borderline mm-hmm. impossible yep. based on what, on the hand that he was dealt. So, yep. um, all right, we're going to get into a couple of columns you wrote this week, Fabs, but I, I'd be remiss if I didn't dunk on you first for, <laughs> bring uh, it. And and I, I look like I had a, I had a good run. I finished the playoffs ten and one, I believe. I think the one game I got wrong, God, I was so close to pitching a perfect game too. The one game I got wrong was the NFC title game. I picked the Packers mm-hmm. to beat the Bucks, but I I got every other game correct. And I can't take full credit for it though, Fabs, because I I actually did pick the Chiefs on the website, but for our purposes, I well, took the Bucks. Right, and that's why I. I took the Chiefs because you were on a hot streak and you picked the Chiefs. I says, well, I'm going to I'm going to ride, you know, the coattails of Breer here. And so I'll get back the case of beer I lost. And ultimately, you you basically, you know, you, you, you nailed both. Not only did you beat me in the postseason picks contest, but then I tried to jump on you and you had that one wrong. Yeah. So I'm going to be sending 
two cases of Southern California's finest IPA to your way. I know. I, very I, I, soon. I'm, I'm, I'm very much. I'm very much looking forward to that. That's a that's a, that's a good weight there too. I don't know what the shipping cost would be on that, so we'll find out to yeah. send it coast to coast. Um, all right. So two columns that we want to touch on that you that you did this week from mm-hmm. a fantasy perspective. The first one is the off season wish list. Now, uh, you know this is stuff that Fabs wants to see happening. Um, and we're not going to give away the whole thing here, but give the people a, a taste of what's in there just as far as some of the, the off-season talking points that we're all going to be working through the next few weeks. So the first one is is maybe the biggest topic right now is Carson Wentz. Yeah. And I'd love to see him go to the Colts because yeah. of the relationship he has with Frank Reich, because of the young offense that they have, the offensive line that they have. And I'd love to see Zach Ertz involved in that trade too, somehow or another, because not only would you get Wentz as a QB2 in fantasy, but Ertz would potentially – end up being a tight end one, which is where he's been for so much of his career. And he's he's only 30 years old. Uh, that scenario would make Jalen Hurts the starting quarterback in Philadelphia, which is another wish. And that one's likely to come true as well. And you look at the numbers that he put up last year in three games, he started and finished, averaged almost 80 rushing yards per game. Like he is a guy who could be a top 12 quarterback. Easy, easy yep. next season. Uh, another wish would be if the Texans do trade Deshaun Watson, which at this point we know they don't want to, but if they do, I'd love to see him go to San Francisco. Not, not because that would increase his value, because how much higher can his value go? It was the QB5. He led the league in passing yards. It's not going to go up that much. But think about what it would do for George Kittle, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, that entire offense, the running game. That would be phenomenal. Again, I don't know that he's going to be traded. The Texans don't want to trade him, but the Niners would be a nice fantasy fit. And I guess one other to, to tease the, the column is that if the Niners ultimately do – acquire Deshaun Watson or another quarterback, I'd like to see Jimmy Garoppolo go back to the Patriots because he knows the offense and the Patriots have a lot of money under the cap. So right now they don't have many weapons. Doesn't mean they can't bring in more weapons. It's not like this team is going to sit on its hands without Tom Brady. So Garoppolo would go back in and potentially have QB2 value in New England. That would be – see, Jimmy going back to New England would be fun – I'm, I'd be interested to see how it looks. I think the situation he'd be walking into is de- demonstrably worse than what he was playing in. Oh, no question. In 2016 during Brady's suspension, mm-hmm. you know, and so like, that one's interesting. I think Deshaun in San Francisco would be having like seeing Kyle Shanahan with that level of I quarterback. Know. I know. Like, and you've seen what he's done over the years. Like with Matt Ryan mm-hmm. winning the MVP, mm-hmm. with Robert Griffin winning Rookie of the Year, yep. with Matt Schaub all those years ago in Houston, with Jimmy the last few years, we know he can coach quarterbacks. Yep. Like what he got out of Kirk Cousins, hell, what he got out of Brian Hoyer that year in Cleveland. You know, <laughs> like I, I just think like he's such a like a high level coach, but mm-hmm. we haven't. I don't know. We haven't seen him with a player quite as complete as Deshaun Watson before who can do like everything. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Matt right. Ryan's incredibly talented passer. Robert Griffin, an incredibly talented runner. Like we haven't seen like, like the idea of seeing him with somebody who's got both is is fascinating. Yep. Um in the Carson Wentz thing, I I just I don't know. Indy be interesting. I I'm I'm just gonna tell you, the Eagles are still asking for too much, and I like the Colts are going to be judicious about this one. I think the idea of plugging Carson Wentz in there, if Carson Wentz is fixed, is fascinating. If they can fix him, which I don't think there's, a, I don't think it's a sure thing. Mm-hmm. And and Frank Reich knows the good and the bad there. 
I mean, the idea that like, okay, like now Jonathan Taylor and Michael Pittman like get to grow up with him. They still have to fix the left tackle position because Costanzo retired. Right, retired. Yep. But that whole thing like has a chance to really, really. I mean, I, it feels to me like they're a quarterback away from really, really taking off. Mm-hmm. And so, very, very interesting. Okay, so their second piece for this uh, first week of the NFL offseason was your top fantasy free agents. Right. So give the people a little taste of what they'll find there on SI.com. So I go through my top five. Number one is Dak Prescott. I don't consider him a free agent. I'm a Cowboys fan. He's not going anywhere. No. And his best fantasy fit is to stay right where he was. Yep. In the five games that he played before he went down with that gruesome injury, he was on pace to have the best fantasy season of any quarterback ever. Yep. He was on pace for almost 6,000 passing yards. Like, I, I get it on pace, whatever, but he was playing at a very high level and the Cowboys have a boatload of talent and hopefully the Cowboys are going to add offensive line pieces maybe with their, uh, with their first round pick uh, time will tell, but they need to protect Dak Prescott. And assuming there's no setbacks, he could end up being a top five quarterback easily. Uh, my number two fantasy free agent is Aaron Jones and Jones has finished as a top five running back in fantasy two straight years. The Packers have AJ Dillon waiting in the wings. And if yep. you remember that game against Tennessee, he looked great. And it's one game, I get it, but it kind of whet the appetites of fantasy managers. And would the Packers either tag or pay Aaron Jones? I'm not sure that either would be the case. And Jamal Williams is a free agent. He's a free too, agent also, and he just hired a new agent. But imagine Aaron Jones in Atlanta. That would yeah. be a tremendous fit. Not only would it help, it wouldn't, it wouldn't help his value in terms of being ranked higher. He'd still be ranked probably right around the same. He'd be a top 10 running yeah. back. But it would really make A.J. Dillon a breakout candidate because he would potentially be the guy. I think he would be the guy. They'd have to have a compliment in there right. as well, well because he's not a, a great pass catcher. But mm-hmm. Aaron Jones in Atlanta would make and a you lot think of, of sense. Like, yeah, you think of what like Arthur Smith did for Derrick Henry, and then they yes. invested a lot in their offensive line, You know, mm-hmm. drafting Chris Lidstrom and Caleb McGarry. And yep. uh, obviously, you know, Jake Matthews has been there for a long time, so it makes some sense. Yeah. Uh, Allen Robinson, mm-hmm. I don't know that he'll be tagged by the Bears, but I there are a lot of teams mm-hmm. that I'd like to see him go to. But the Best would be Jacksonville, right back where he was drafted. He had that one big year. Blake Bortles is obviously gone. They're going to bring in Trevor Lawrence, who'd be the number one option in an offense with a lot of potential with James Robinson in the backfield. That could be a lot of fun. So you know what's interesting about that? You say that too. Yeah. Allen Robinson, bigger, taller target. Sort of what like Trevor Lawrence had at Clemson for a lot of years with T. Mm -hmm. Higgins and Justin Mm -hmm. Ross. Like I, I just... There's something there with that, like that where that makes some sense. It's also going to be interesting to see which receivers get tagged. Godwin in Tampa, I think he probably gets tagged. Kenny Galladay in Detroit. Because they've got they've got what Shaq Barrett's a free agent. Levante David's a free agent. Yep. Like Gronk. Gronk is yeah, they, they've got and Dominican Sue's a free agent. So like and I'll skip over to Godwin here. For me, will the is Bucks Godwin keep him? I mean, four? They're in a uh, Godwin's five. Okay, Galladay's so we'll four. Second, we're going right. out. Of, so, 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 right, so we're going out of right there, so we got him. <laughs> Antonio Brown's also a free agent. So yeah. if the Buccaneers decide that they want to tag, you know, one of their their young defenders, uh, like a Shaq Barrett, for example, mm-hmm. and they decide, well, we're going to bring back Antonio Brown. Chris Godwin may decide, I got my ring. I'm getting paid. And I'd love to see him, and I don't think that this would would fit from a salary cap perspective, but who the hell knows, right? I mean, the Rams just got rid of Jared Goff. Things happen. Philadelphia would be interesting for me because Godwin's in an offense right now where there's a lot of mouths to feed. If he goes to Philadelphia, Alshon's going to be gone. Deshaun Jackson's going to be gone. They'll have Jalen Rieger, 
I mean, Travis Fulgham was a cup of coffee good for for this past season, but I mean, he's not going to make an impact. Yeah, he was weirdly dominant for right. like three or four weeks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I had him on a bunch of fantasy leagues. Uh, but Godwin in Philadelphia would be the guy. Like he would be the top option in the passing game for Jalen Hurts. And I'd love to see Godwin be the number one. I just Tampa think, Bay I he know, loses I, a little bit of value with all the weapons they have. I just feel like to some degree they have to sort of service Tom Brady. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, like, I get it. I get it. And, and that's why that, this is fantasy. I, I, my, my, that, that's my, that's why I, my guess would be that he gets the tag. He's also, he'd be a cheaper tag than Shaq Barrett because Shaq would be being tagged for the second time. Mm-hmm. And I think Shaq is two or three years older. And so I don't think you tag Levante David. I think you try yeah, to get him so to come back on a little bit of uh, a little for a little less. I don't think you tag Gronk because I don't think Gronk is going to play anywhere else. I think right. Gronk is there. And or AB, nowhere. same thing. I don't think he's going to play anywhere right. else either. Right. So like, I, I think that this sort of, if you, if you narrow it down and you look at like the structure of the team and then you look at like some of the injury issues that Mike Evans has had, mm-hmm. you maybe look at it and say, you know, Chris Godwin, He's probably the one right now that we can't afford to let go of. Right. So anyway, and Galladay will be interesting too because I think if Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia were still there, there's a good chance that that God that, that Galladay gets traded or gets uh, gets tagged. Tagged. Yeah. But with those guys gone now, you've got a new coach and a new GM who aren't invested in him at all. Right. And so who yeah. might see him a different way? So that one's sort of interesting too. Anyway, I, I think his best fantasy fit is staying in Detroit because yeah. Marvin Jones is a free agent and so is Amendola. Yep. So and I think I think both of those guys could be gone. I was actually talking to Dave Burkett, uh, who who covers the Lions uh, yep. on my Sirius XM show and he said he'd be surprised if Marvin Jones was brought back. But think about it. Galladay is is either retained with a new deal or tagged. And like I don't like Jared Goff as a quarterback. I just don't. But Robert Woods and Cooper Cup were pretty damn valuable from a fantasy perspective with Goff under center. Cooper Cup was an elite fantasy wide receiver a couple of seasons ago with Goff under center. Mm. The Lions are going to be playing a lot of negative game scripts. What's that mean? Goff's going to throw the ball a lot. Who's he going to throw to? Kenny Galladay. (laughs) So I I like Galladay staying in Detroit. I know a lot of teams are going to be interested in him, but ultimately I think his best fantasy fit, not reality, but fantasy fit, is to stay in the Motor City. And we got a lot to look forward to when it comes to that. This should be a wild off season. Um, I think we're all sort of buckling up for it. I definitely yeah. am. It's hard to believe we're about a month away from free agency. Mm-hmm. He is Michael Fabiano. He's the author, the original author of the uh, Stardom Sidham column. You can find that at si.com. Now, Fabs, thanks for everything all year. And uh, we're going to have some fun over the next few weeks and trying oh, to yeah. figure out ways to adjust the segment. But I'm looking forward to moving forward with you, too. Yeah, man. Uh, I've loved working with you. I mean, even back to our days together at NFL Network. And yep. there is no offseason. You know that. I know that. There is never going to be a shortage of topics. Uh, with those two articles, I'm also writing a third. Uh, I do this every year because of Valentine's Day, which is coming up this weekend. <laughs> My top 10 fantasy man crushes for all right. 2021 so uh you know i'm throwing a little love out there be sure to check that out we'll probably address that next week fabs always appreciate it all right take care all right thanks to jordan thanks to fabs we're gonna jump into the six pack to wrap the show up you guys know how this works every tuesday i put the call out for questions on twitter i pick six if i pick yours it means you get an answer here on the podcast and you get a like on twitter and if i don't answer your question here be sure to check the mailbag on the mmqb.com. Some of the questions will get answered there as well. Question number one for this week coming from Tom Marshall. That's at Red Zonak. Does Tampa, does the win with Tampa prove there is a quote unquote Brady way? 
Tom, like I said off the top, yes, I think it does. And I think that there's a acceleration to the growth of some players. I think there's a cohesion that happens. I think there's a lot of different ways intangibly that Tom Brady affected the organization in Tampa. And I don't think it's unlike the effect that Peyton Manning had in Denver when he got there in 2012. You may remember Von Miller, really talented player, started to take the next steps. Demarius Thomas, Eric Decker. It was, I mean, across the board on their roster, you saw players start to grow up. The standard rose. And I think in the same way the standard rose in Tampa, so you saw guys maybe going a little further. Maybe guys learned how to work a little harder, learned what it means to work hard as an NFL player, learned how to win, and carried themselves with a certain amount of confidence. I think that counts for, obviously, players in the offense, but it's not just the guys he's throwing to, like a Scotty Miller or a Chris Godwin, young guys that maybe were waiting to take that next step. It's also guys on defense like Devin White, like Carlton Davis, like Vita Vey, where you know, I just think, you know, you, 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 you have a guy like that who's pushing you, who's setting a certain standard. You don't want to let him down. And I do think that there is a Brady way. I think it's related directly to some of the stuff that he learned in New England. So it's not like New England isn't responsible for that in some way. But there is a Brady way. And that way, of course, was passed from player to player and through that organization. And I think it's a big part of why they are where they are now. Question number two from Lou Keefe. That's at Lewis Keefe. Three, who will play quarterback for the Jets in 2021 if it's not Sam Darnold or Deshaun Watson? My belief, Lou, if it's not Sam Darnold and it's not Deshaun Watson, my belief is that it will be Zach Wilson, the quarterback from BYU. And I think that's what the Jets are doing right now. Part of that process, we talked about it off the top of the show when they got the calls from the teams last week when they um, said, just wait on us. Part of evaluating Sam Darnold isn't just going to be evaluating Sam Darnold in a vacuum. It's also going to be evaluating him up against what's going to be available to them with the second overall pick. And so I'm going to give you Zach Wilson as the quarterback of the Jets in 2021 if it's not Sam Darnold or Deshaun Watson. That would be my guess. And I think that part of this process, again, if they move Sam Darnold in the next three or four weeks, will be we held him up against those quarterbacks in the draft against Zach Wilson and Justin Fields. And A, we thought we could do better at the quarterback position with one of those guys. And B, we also liked the idea of resetting the clock on the rookie contract advantage um, that, 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 that you have with a with a young quarterback. So, um, again, if it's not Darnold, it's not Watson, keep an eye on Zach Wilson. Question number three from Quintez Season. That's at call underscore me underscore teeb. What is your what what's your favorite slash likely trade scenarios for the draft? My favorite trade scenarios for the draft are teams making massive moves up for quarterbacks. Love it when that happens. We've seen it fairly fairly um, consistently over the last five years or so too. In 2016, Philadelphia and Tennessee made or I'm sorry, Philadelphia and um, and the Rams made massive moves up for Jared Goff and Carson Wentz. The Broncos that same year, I believe, made like a shorter move up to go and get Paxton Lynch. 2017, all three of the teams that drafted quarterbacks in the first round, Chicago, the Texans, and the Chiefs, all moved up for their quarterbacks. The Texans and Chiefs made massive moves up for Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes in 2018. The Jets moved up for Sam Darnold. The Bills moved up for Josh Allen. The um, the Cardinals move up for Josh Rosen. The Ravens moved up to go and get um, to go and get Lamar Jackson. Um, it's just it's become very very common that we're seeing this sort of thing now. And so I think it's 
absolutely within the realm of possibility that an Indianapolis or a Washington winds up making a massive move up the board to go and get a quarterback. So that'd be my favorite slash likely trade scenarios is that you see one of those teams that's down there, um, maybe even playoff teams like Chicago, you could throw them in the mix too, that makes a massive move up to go and get a quarterback. Question number four from Luke Woolett. That's at Luke Woolett. How long a leash does McVay have following the Stafford trade, having mortgage the future draft picks? What is the minimum acceptable return, Super Bowl or bust? I think the the Rams very much are like in a two-year window now. Um, and I, I think if you look at Aaron Donald in his prime, you look at Jalen Ramsey in his prime, they've really invested a lot in some top-level players. You have now um, Cooper Cup moving into his prime. You have Robert Woods in the back end of his prime. You have Andrew Whitworth at 38 years old as the anchor of the offensive line. Um, you've just got like your sort of leverage with this group of players that maybe has a two or a three year window to be together. I just think it's going to be interesting to see what happens over the next two or three years. And, you know, one thing that the Rams have always brought up with McVay is the burnout factor. Is it possible that, you know, after two or three more years there, maybe he wants to take a one or a two year break and there are television networks that are offering him 20 million a year to come and call games. I think all of this stuff could eventually be in play. Um, you know, right now the Rams have a top five coach though, and they're bringing in a quarterback they believe can be a top five quarterback. And so it's going to be fascinating to watch. And I think McVay gives you as good a shot as anybody to win at the highest level. And, you know, you give him staff or the quarterback he really believes. And it's going to be fascinating to see where that goes next. Question number five from Jason Krulik. That's at Krulik. I guess you pronounce Krulik then, right? Instead of Krulik. Uh, do you think the Lions would tra- draft Trey Lance if he's available at seven? Or do you think they could trade back for a team willing to trade up for him? I do think that they could look at the idea of trading back. I don't think that's impossible. Um, if they aren't wild about the quarterbacks that are available to them, I think it's also possible that they sit there and they take one of the quarterbacks. I think all of it's in play. So if you ask me, does the Jared Goff trade preclude the Lions from taking a quarterback? The answer to that question is an emphatic no. Do I think that they feel obligated? No. And I think that's why Jared Goff puts them at least in a little bit of a position of strength where his contract, like the guaranteed money's tough and you're locked into him for the next two years, but the actual dollars aren't that crazy because the bonus money's been paid out. And so you know, now you're sort of in this situation where like you look at it and you say, okay, like, so if we don't like one this year or we don't think we'll be in position to draft the one we like this year, we've got the flexibility to wait. So I do think Jared Goff gives the Lions, New Brass, Dan Campbell, Brad Holmes, all those guys, the ability to wait if they want to wait. Finally, question number six. This is from Mark Bennett. That's at Mark John Bennett. Rumors this weekend about the teams calling the Seahawks about trading Russell Wilson doesn't seem to make any sense unless Houston wanted to offer them Watson. I told you off the top of the show, Houston is not in the business of shopping Watson, of considering trading Watson just yet. Might change over time, but right now that's not where they're at. And as for trading Russell Wilson, I don't think Seattle's trading Russell Wilson. I think in a certain way, Russell Wilson probably saw some of the buttons that that Aaron Rodgers pushed with the Packers and sees how aggressive the Bucks were about putting talent around Tom Brady, how aggressive the Bills were about putting talent around Josh Allen, about how aggressive the Chiefs were about putting talent around Patrick Mahomes. Probably saying, give me some of that. Like, let's see if we can load up a little bit here. Um, so I don't think that this is a 
I don't think it's a play to get out of Seattle. The same way I didn't think Aaron Rodgers' play was really to get out of Green Bay. I think it's to try and push the front office to be more aggressive in going and getting him some help. And by the way, these complaints out of his camp aren't exactly new. We've heard this stuff about the offensive line for years and years and years and years. So um, it should be interesting to watch that one unfold. But I think you know what to watch here isn't necessarily trade. It might be how aggressive the Seahawks are in getting talent around Russell Wilson, maybe getting another offensive lineman or two around Russell Wilson um, this offseason. And what's going to be fascinating, too, about this when you say something like that, it doesn't maybe it doesn't always resonate all that well with your teammates, and so I think that part of it is going to be really interesting too, because he sort of threw his offensive line into the bus a little bit there. I appreciate you guys coming out. I appreciate the work that you got or the time that you guys have spent all year with me here on the podcast, and we're going to try to continue to make this show better. So please reach out, tell me what you think we're doing right. We did a little bit of a fun kind of different type of podcast last week with Jason Light. And, uh, and Brett Feach, plan to do more of that stuff. And I, I want to hear what you guys want um, in that sort of way, too. Like where we did over the summer, we did the podcast with Eric DaCosta, Brett Feach, and Sean McVay on their career pass. Whatever you guys want, you want more of that, let me know. And if you think there are tweaks that will be interesting to the show itself, I'm all ears on that stuff, too. So feel free to reach out to me, as always, on my social media, at Albert Breer on Twitter, at Albert R. Breer on Facebook, at Albert underscore Breer on Instagram. You get me there. You get me your feedback. I promise you I will listen to it. You can also help us out by putting a rating and review up on iTunes. That helps everybody else find our show with all the algorithms and analytics stuff that goes into that. Like, definitely helps us out. Can't tell you exactly how, but it does actually help us out. And always remember to listen to all the MMQB shows. We're going to be staying strong and, and, and rolling with you through what should be an eventful offseason. Not just my show, but also Jenny and Connor on the Weekside Podcast. And, of course, Gary and the Monday Morning Podcast and the Gambling Podcast, which are on the original MMQB feed. Um, those three feeds, the Albert Breer Show, the Weekside Podcast, the MMQB Podcast. You can find all of us on Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, wherever you guys get your shows. We are there same time next week. We will talk to you guys then.